it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Mountain Murders is an Appalachian true crime podcast. Listener discretion is advised. The show contains graphic language and depictions of violence. It may not be suitable for all audiences. We say fuck a lot. Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. I'm Heather. And I'm Dylan. And today we have a very special guest. Episode 91 of Mountain Murders. Oh my god, this is the first time. Let's introduce Megan. Hi Meg. Hi. Welcome to the show. You have a brand new podcast. I do. I I just started it recently. Actually, oh, and I'm really sorry if you have to splice some of this out because of my dog. (laughs) That's okay. Sorry. But yeah, I I just, honestly, I never thought about podcasting, to be quite honest with you. It literally fell into my lap. I was just at the store and I was looking in the, the electronics for a keyboard, not anything in particular, and I needed a printer. And I found this USB microphone and I was like, this is $25. I have $25 to throw away. And tell us about your podcast. It's called Dreadfully Curious, which we love the name. Yeah, it's a really dope name. Thank you. I decided that I wanted to podcast, but I didn't want to do one thing specifically because I'm really fickle and I can't stay on one subject for very long without getting extremely bored. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to tell a big range of creepy stories that like freak me out and that I like and I think people will like as well. And I just started from there. And in my first episode, I did a missing person case. But then my second episode, I talked about a vampire panic that was actually caused by tuberculosis. So it's like it it ranges, you know. Wow. Those sound amazing. I love those stories. That well, sounds I really interesting. To both episodes, and I thought it was great. I mean, um, of course, Meg's a solo podcaster. She's really engaging with her storytelling. There, I feel like I learned a lot in episode two, which was about the New England vampire panic. 
Um, mm-hmm. You discussed like some antiquated medical practices and different kinds of medicinal healing and types of things they would try back in the day. And there I was, was a lot of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There were some things I couldn't even put in there. Like I didn't, I looked up things and I tried not to put in something I didn't understand. Like for instance, there was this one and it said to put toasted cheese on a cut. I don't know what the fuck toasted cheese is. Oh, wow. Like, is it like cheese that like you put over like the fire and then slap it on your cut? Like, what is it? And then I would lick it off because I love cheese. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I just can't imagine that like a gaping wound that's, oozing blood and then you add melted cheese on top of that what in the world is that gonna do to help you well and I imagine it was like old-timey homemade cheese so it wasn't like the craft singles that are so easily meltable oh no, no if, that's if just it gonna was have, like curdled cheese bits in it yeah, it's gonna so be, wouldn't that be a really tough like cheese to try to melt down and that's what I said so I didn't include that because I was like I don't fucking understand this <laughs> well, I think that's the safest thing to do because you can't talk at length about something if you don't understand it. So I think that's exactly. a very good, very good move. And your first episode was about the disappearance of uh, Maura Murray. Mm-hmm. That's a really popular was, case. I I did see that it was popular and I was like, you know, I might, people might not want to hear this because they probably heard it before, but I just felt really compelled to talk about it because she's still missing. So it's like, they just need answers, whether it's like bones that are found or a location, something. Her family needs closure. It's been a long time. Well, it is a popular case, but I feel like people are still very interested in it because it's such an unusual story. Did it take you a while to compile the research because there's so much information I'm sure you had to wade through because it's been, what, 10 years or more? It's been like she went to, she disappeared in 2004. So it's been 16 years since she's been missing, but it took like seven days of researching. And that's a long time for me because I can research in like two days. Oh my God. That's like a lifetime to me. I can't, that's a lot of research. And so I'm sure that makes for a good story. Do you have any theories regarding her disappearance? What do you, after putting together the research, telling the story, do you have some ideas? Like, what do you think maybe happened? I do have ideas and I will say I don't want to get sued. So these are theories and only theories that I have, but I, I don't know. So from the beginning, her dad was very suspicious to me. He was creepy and strange and I don't know what their relationship was like, but I just didn't like it. I did not like the vibe of it. So I don't, I don't know for sure if her dad had something to do with it. I think maybe in a psychological way, her father had something to do with it. She was in a really, really bad place mentally, like a terrible place. She was super manic. She was like all over the place. I mean, she packed up her entire apartment. Like who does that if you're not going to, if you're not planning on doing something like huge, right? Well, yeah, that, yeah. Some, some type of life changing event for sure. So, my familiarity with the case is, so she was a college student. She packed up and, like, just left town. They found her car, and then they've never found her. You know, she's just been missing. And didn't yeah. she say she was going, like, to the mountains to, like, have a getaway kind of thing? Well, her family never knew that. Um, the, no, she called and told her place of work that she was going out of town because a family member died. Oh, Okay. Wow. Yeah, so she never told anybody she was planning on going on a vacation. And she just happened to call 
the place that her family had rented like a condominium from during the summertime and they rejected it they were like no we're not going to rent to you because it seemed kind of fishy to them especially because her from what I can gather she was just acting very strange like a way that a normal person would be like okay what's wrong with you lady (laughs) it's really fascinating story so if you want to check out dreadfully curious's first episode about Maura Murray and then of course the second episode is about the um, New England vampire panic and I thought that was really fascinating but Megan you're going to share with us a wonderful case today I'm really interested in hearing the story yeah, and I heard you have a really interesting story to tell as well, so I'm really excited to do Yeah, that. and so Megan, you know, we live in Western North Carolina. We talk about, you know, our home place quite a bit. Um, Megan's actually just over the mountain from us. Today, yeah, I was born in Jackson County. So we're going like, to stick to local stories today. Oh, she's one of them local girls. So she has a story out of her home county, Jackson County, North Carolina, and we have a story out of Haywood County, North Carolina. And because it's a collaboration, we're going to keep our storytelling a little short because we are really excited to hear the case you're going to talk about. It's so fascinating. You're going to love it, Dylan. Oh yeah. I'm in the dark on both stories for the most part. So I can't wait to take the ride with the listeners. Okay. Well, let's get started. Uh, Leo Jack Clark was a resident of a rest home on Killian street in Waynesville, North Carolina. And it was through a Haywood County social services program on February 4th, 1975 Clark ate lunch at the normal time at the rest home and then he left out for town with about $18 in his possession he was only 56 years old so he wasn't elderly I mean not what you would maybe think of as a senior citizen well yeah but in 75 that might be a little little worse for the wear well, I was 56 mention that but 56 back in 75 that may have been considered like what 70 is to us today yeah it might have been like a thousand now <laughs> you're silly <laughs> Leo Jack Clark, the Killian Street rest home where he was living, is actually very close to our local Waynesville Middle School. Yeah, it's right down the road. It's actually just an area that is not far from our neighborhood. It's probably a a couple miles, mile or two away. Very close proximity to the middle school. And so he takes off walking. He has $18 in his pocket. And when he failed to return for the evening meal, which was normally served between four and five, The operator of the rest home, a woman named Mary Caldwell, notified the police. Clark's body was found on February the 5th, 1975, inside the abandoned pure oil bulk plant near the railroad tracks in Waynesville. The floor of the building was littered with debris, papers, and dirt, and there was blood on the wall, on the littered paper. The victim's wallet was found lying beside his body, which was empty. And the newspaper, the Mountaineer, called the crime the town's most brutal slaying ever. Wow, that must have been some kind of scene they come up on there. For several weeks, investigators scrambled to gather evidence and a person or persons of interest in this case. The medical examiner had a difficult time determining the cause of death because Clark had suffered so many injuries. He had three severe wounds to the face. He had brain damage and multiple internal injuries. Clark could have died from any of these wounds or perhaps could have just bled out. So he's injured pretty badly, right? It's brutal. It's quite significant. That sounds really, really bad. I was sitting here thinking like, okay, when she's going to, when's she going to stop saying what's wrong with him? Yeah, I know that's a lot, right? Yeah. As we get into the story, I have more details from the actual like coroner to talk about like the injuries. They're pretty serious. 
Clark was from Tennessee and he didn't have much family in this area. So, you know, he didn't really have people to like push in solving the case. It was really on the community and the local police department to try to solve this because he didn't have family advocating. He didn't have a lot of friends in town. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, who's going to be, I was just thinking who would be an old man. I mean, I don't mean any offense by that, but just an elderly gentleman, you know, getting a little long in the tooth and he's out walking around, taking care of himself. He's got a few bucks in his pocket. He's doing for himself. It seems like, and to just take advantage of someone like that. What a piece of shit. He was born in Newport, which is just across the North Carolina-Tennessee line on June 1st, 1918. And as I typed that out, I was like, wow, 1918, that's more than 100 years ago. That's crazy. Just kind of blows my mind to think about time, I guess. Witnesses placed Clark around 3 p.m. on Tuesday where Southern Railroad tracks cross South Richland Street in Waynesville near an abandoned fuel depot. And that's where his body was going to be found on Wednesday morning. So people did see him out strolling around taking a walk and this location which is off of the south richland street is very close to the killian street rest home yeah it's not even what a quarter mile oh it's not very it's not very far at all it's like a block like a residential block away i mean it's a super close walk so the man leaves the rest home and then is last seen at this location that like i said is maybe a quarter mile away yeah i mean he was almost back home We should talk about this area of Waynesville. It's known as historic frog level. In 1884, the arrival of the railway breathed new economic life into the county to the um, farm folk who were living here. Oh, yeah, that's a very, um, that was the hub of every small town, I would say, back then. Like, you know, the cattle yard in Chicago or, you know, anywhere where the train was the lifeblood of all these areas. Yeah, back in the day, this was a really busy spot. Uh, The depot was where, you know, folks entered and exited the train. Goods were shipped in and out of town. And the National Guard Armory, which is located in this area, was used um, as the train en route to Mexico during the war that was happening. Really? In the late 1800s. Wow. This was a bustling area for different businesses. It was like a furniture company and several other like large businesses in town that operated in Frog Level. But when the train slowly fell out of fashion and more people were able to buy cars, Frog Level became a destination for transients and people that were referred to as winos, which mm. if you're not familiar with that term, I mean, that's essentially a hobo. Oh my God. I've been down there for like a hundred years. I mean, just as soon as it went south. <laughs> Pretty much. There was transients. Well, I know that. still coming through. We still, I mean, in Haywood County, there's still some talk about frog level. There's been some gentrification. Yeah, a little bit. Some businesses have come through, but it's still kind of an area where there's a lot of transients. Homeless people. Oh yeah, well congregate they there. They come there now. It's almost like a badge of honor to just plop down right in the middle of this little bit of gentrification going on in our area, and just uh, I guess they like messing with people. Maybe it's centrally located. I mean, there's got to be some reason. You know, I mean, we could go on a hour long debate about why or where on a local level as far as this goes, but maybe it's just always had that element of kind of being centrally located here in town in the county. Possibly. I mean, it has been my entire life. And I hate to admit, but I just turned 40. So for 40 years that I have on and off resided in Haywood County, North Carolina, Frog Level has continued to be a spot for like transients. And when I was a kid, we called them winos and they would like sleep under the bridge. They would hang out just 
in the, uh, you know, the main part of frog level with a brown paper bag drinking. And for the most part, they didn't really get into trouble or cause problems. But there might be some drunk people kind of staggering around and the worst crime was that they might possibly get into a fight with one another. Yeah. And uh, Megan, what do you think? Do you think most small towns have this area that's, you know, been a certain way for quite a while? Um, like, are you saying like, is there area where, an area where like Dirty Mike and the boys get together and like hang around around like those burn barrels and just like, yes, yeah, that's exactly, exactly. yeah, Dirty yeah. Mike and the boys. I like that. <laughs> um, okay. So I'm from Silva, which of course you both have been there. It's, it's a really small town. So if where you're from is a small town, where I'm from is even smaller. Oh yeah. We lived there up until about a year ago. So yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's been a lot even of time smaller. It's yeah. like my second. I mean, world. I can't say that I would specifically say there's a, an exact place where homeless people gather here, but there are areas of town that you maybe don't want to go around a lot because a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of drug use happens in this county and it's um it's unfortunate because then it makes other areas of the county are impacted by it so it's like a ripple effect it starts somewhere small and then it just spreads out to other parts of the community and we are a college town so that make that's just brings a lot of people in and out so there's not a lot of stable um living in the community it's a lot of like here some people are here for a while then they leave then a new group of people move in so it's just like a revolving door of a population yeah yeah well that's uh, yeah we've talked about here in waynesville there's some magic there i mean even the other small towns around they have their spot or you know play like you said the place where you might not you know leave keys in your car or something like that but here in waynesville this frog level area has like a perfect mix because there is always like she said transient people homeless whatever you want to call them and um they come in and out some of them local some of them not which back in the day, I mean, uh, you know, hopping train cars was a way of life for many folks. I mean, now we call those people crust punks, but back in the day, they were just like Jack Kerouac riding the rails, right? And so I think the fact that you've got this train depot and it's easy for people to jump on and off trains, so that's probably one reason why it kind of became this destination for uh, the traveling person. But also, uh, there was a period when Frog Level later on hosted like the only beer joints in town. Yeah, that's true. It had your few little bars, a swinging door and such, things like that. Places way older than I am. And a lot of these bars operated during the time of our story in the 70s. I always grew up hearing stories about the corner bar, the tavern, and like, you know, old timers names of people I don't know, but heard of that were kind of like local legends, if you will. Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember the time, blah, 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 did this or that, you know, I mean, and my grandpa was a barber. So I just feel like I grew up kind of hearing all these stories about the beer joints and frog level and stuff. I mean, it's just kind of just a fun kind of place to be, I guess. And at the time that Clark was killed, this area was considered, you know, mostly a place where the winos, if you will, would congregate because many of the old buildings at this point that were once used for the operation of the train, the depot, um, just some of those old kind of buildings were falling into, basically they were just becoming dilapidated. I mean, there wasn't the gentrification. That's amazing that that's happened for so many years there in that area. And in the weeks following the murder, donations rolled in to help find the killer or killers. People in Haywood County were really upset about this. Like I said, the newspaper called it one of the most brutal slayings in history of the county. 
people, this was a small town where this kind of thing just didn't happen. Governor James Holshower, I hope I'm not butchering his name, he offered a $2,500 reward in the case, coupled with money that was given by uh, members of the community and the town, which totaled around $3,600 in reward money. And if we adjust that for inflation, that's like $17,000 today. So it was a substantial reward. Yeah, I think any time that something happens to a child or, or elderly in a community, it's just that much more shocking, you know, that something this bad happened to this elderly gentleman. Curtis Boyd White Jr. was sitting in jail on February 27th. So this is about 22 days after the murder. He was in jail with 28-year-old Willard Warren Jr. when he heard a story. Warren told White about he and his brother Harold, who was a 26-year-old, that they had robbed and stabbed an old man named Clark, you know, the one that you'd read about in the papers. So the guy's like, what? Scooby-Doo ears perk? (laughs) Wyatt was incarcerated in jail on a breaking and entering charge. So it wasn't like he was really in jail on some huge crime, you know? Yeah, so it's kind so, of a petty crime, I guess. Yeah, maybe. so when we get kind of into the story, I mean, you can see that it, it, he's probably likely not just fabricating the story to try to get out of trouble because it's not like he... He's not in that much trouble in the first place. Right. Willard and Harold had seen their friend Reeves Webb and this old man who turns out to be Clark, go into a little building with a bottle of wine. The Warren brothers followed the men inside, hoping that they could get a drink. The four drank all the wine, and then Clark said that he had some money and would give them some money to go buy some more wine. He gives Reeves a dollar. Webb then went to the A&P store, which we're talking about uh, Reeves Webb. He goes to the A&P store, which I never knew we had an A&P in town. Well, now you know. (laughs) To get the wine, and while he was gone, Willard and Harold decided to kill and rob the elderly man. Harold Warren hit the old man with a two-by-four piece of wood. Willard pulled out a knife, cutting Clark in the face, chest, and his throat. They then got, I'm sorry, $18 and about 34, 36 cents when they took his wallet. Well, yeah, so that's what, probably like a hundred bucks nowadays, you reckon? Yeah, probably. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, certainly not worth uh, doing what they did to this poor man, but. The brothers hurried to get out of the building before Webb returned with the wine. And after killing Clark, Willard and Harold met Reeves coming back from the A&P store with the wine. The three men went over to a man named Tommy's house and drank, chilled, hung out. Willard also told White that he had skinned his right elbow against a wall while he was attacking this old man. So what what pieces of shit? I mean, they couldn't even, they, then they go drink the wine that the old man bought for them all. I mean, this man's sharing what he has with everybody. And then they're, I mean, just how callous. During this conversation, Willard also mentioned another elderly man who was known to walk fast through the area and usually had this little dog that followed behind him. So this was an elderly man that was just kind of known to town residents. Yeah, everybody knows those guys. Willard confessed that this was their next target, stating, we're going to get him next. Yeah, so now they got a taste for it. Maybe this isn't the first person they've killed. I apologize. My cat is, like, freaking out at the door. Oh, my God. What is this problem? I think <laughs> she, it's... She has separation anxiety. Sent here by the competition. <laughs> it's okay. I have a bunch of dogs. Like, I have a puppy sleeping beside me right now. You got, Let me... Let me. I know this is off topic a little bit, but let me show you this puppy. Oh, my goodness. We have to see the puppy. <clears throat> It's a little wiener dog. 
<laughs> Male or female? It's a little boy. Should I ask if you have assumed his gender or whatever? Yeah, is he gender oh. fluid? Um, he might be gender fluid, but anatomically, he does have the male anatomy. What's his name? Uh, his name's Guillermo, but I call him Mo. Oh, uh-huh. he's really How cute. cute. I love can I come pet your dog? <laughs> yes, yes. We'll have like a dog, and I, like you can pet my dog, and I'll attempt to pet your cat if it will let me. Some more from the medical examiner's report. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I just want to go into this again to describe the brutality of this beating and murder. Dr. Robert S. Boatwright was an expert in pathology. He examined the body and found numerous injuries to the face, including a deep abrasion on the upper left forehead, a torn left ear with exposed cartilage, a one-inch wound over the left eyebrow, and a long abrasion over the left jaw, which extended into the mouth and a broken jawbone. There was internal hemorrhaging beneath the skull, multiple rib fractures, punctured lungs, ruptured liver, broken right wrist, a broken left hand and leg. The doctor gave his opinion during the trial that the cause of death was multiple injuries. And more specifically, he felt that either the injuries um, to the side of the head and the brain, the fractured ribs, ruptured liver, or just the shock from the combined trauma could have led to this man's death. He would go on to state in his report that the wounds about the head and face were caused by a blunt instrument rather than a sharp instrument. My God, this was an extended attack. This didn't happen fast. And they left this poor old old man, poor elderly gentleman in a heap. And there's no telling how long he laid there and suffered before he succumbed to his wounds. I mean, my God. Well, you know, jailbirds like to sing, and once White heard the story, he came forward. Investigators were all over the Warrens as prime suspects. I mean, the Warrens were not unknown to local law enforcement. Willard had a fairly lengthy criminal record, including convictions on two felony assault on a female charge. There were two different charges from 1973. Abandonment, a prison escape, and other charges and convictions on disorderly conduct. Oh, yeah. Well, they sound like criminals, or I'm sorry, career shitbirds. You love that word. Yeah. They're just flying all around, shitting everything up. A prison escape. Yeah. What the fuck? Who did? Who does that? You just like Houdini out of the prison? Yeah, it'll be like an Alcatraz where I blow up the damn raincoats and never to be seen again. I'm just curious how that works. Just walk away. <laughs> the Warren <laughs> Brothers off. also listed a residence that was less than a mile from the crime scene. Well, that's, uh, well, there you go. Circumstantial evidence. 
While interviewing witnesses, multiple people placed Clark and the Warrens in the same area during about a 30-minute window of time. Clark had been seen by an employee of the rest home, a woman named Kathy Trammell, sometime between 4 and 4.30 on February 4th, and that he was only about two to 300 yards from the bulk plants. Walking in the direction of the rest home, so possibly like maybe he was trying to come back home for dinner. Yeah, it's about dinner time. A woman named Barbara Mercer saw, saw Willard talking to Reeves Webb on the street on the same afternoon, like in that same kind of area out in the street. And later, Willard, his brother Harold, and Reeves Webb came back to Barbara Mercer's house and drank some more wine. Oh, well, there you go. Verlin Stewart, another witness who lived in the neighborhood, saw Willard in the area of the bulk plant with an unidentified person sometime between 4 and 4.30. So you have multiple eyewitnesses placing these people, these four men at this spot in this time frame. Well, yeah. And even nowadays, that's a lot of witnesses, you know, kind of describing similar things. But I think even more so back then, not saying people didn't lie, but people typically stood by their word. I mean, you, uh, if someone said they saw something, you know, most of the time they're telling the truth and you believe them. And this neighborhood, which is, I think, Smathers Street area, is fairly residential. You've got a lot of the little brick ranchers and such, and little row, like kind of mill row houses, so, or sort of just like packed in there together. So it's the kind of neighborhood. It's not rural. You've got a lot of neighbors. These people all know each other, and they are familiar, I'm sure, with these folks who are walking back and forth. I mean, it's just yeah. a small neighborhood. It would be hard not to notice these folks walking around. That's true. Because we're not talking about it being like out in the middle of the country. Well, the Warrens were arrested and charged. Willard's trial commenced in July, and Reeves Webb testified that he met Willard, Harold, and Clark near the railroad tracks on the afternoon of February 4th. Reeves left to go get more wine from a nearby A&P store, and when he returned with the wine, he met Willard and Harold on the street near the Mercer house, where they joined Barbara and Tommy for some drinks. But Clark wasn't with them. The three went into the Mercer house, and they drank, they hung out, and so this guy, Reeves, who had ran this errand, had no idea, seemingly, that a crime had just taken place. Yeah, this extended attack on this man as we all, she went over the list of uh, injuries and stuff, not not something that happened fast or easy. And then these guys are cold enough to just go kick it, you know, and drink some wine with some people. I mean, can you imagine sitting there, you're having some wine, everybody's like joking and coking, and then later you find out that just moments before these people walked into your home, they brutally beat an elderly man like a yeah. few yards away? That's freaking insane. Yeah. Werner, Werner Frank London is another local man who said that on February 5th, 1975, he was in a beer joint in Frog Level. And during this time, he recalled Willard coming into the bar and sitting beside him. Willard was drunk and said he had killed a man down somewhere around the railroad tracks. Yeah, well, this guy, they just can't keep their mouths shut, So this can would they? have been the morning they discovered the body. He went missing on the 4th. February 5th, they find the body. So this would have been the same morning that police are out investigating and searching those buildings. Oh, my God. Another man named Ronald Shattles testified that on February 25th, he was in the Haywood County Jail. Um, he was there on several counts of forgery. And while he occupied a cell in common with Willard Warren and some others, which included 
the first person to come forward with the story, Curtis Wyatt, they were all kind of in this uh, cell together. The subject of Jack Clark's death came up and someone asked Willard if he had done it. And Willard admitted in Shadow's presence that he and his brother Harold had been drinking in a shed together with Reeves Webb and Clark, that they sent Reeves out for more wine. And then after he left, the brothers decided to rob Clark. And during the course of the robbery, Harold beat Clark with that two by four and that Willard stabbed him twice and that it sounded like air coming out of a car tire. Yeah, I'd say that was his punctured lungs. That they took $18.34 from the old man and then they wiped their hands on papers in the shed. Oh my God. The trial only lasted about two weeks from what I can gather from the you know newspaper articles of that time. Warren's defense stated that there was no evidence connecting him to the crime, like as far as physical evidence. There was nothing left behind uh, as far as fingerprints or anything that could tie Warren to the murder. Um, and there were also some discrepancies in the time frame given by witnesses. Again, it was like, maybe I saw him at four, maybe I saw them at 430 which a 30-minute window is really not a big window of time. But, I mean, I guess some discrepancy, you know, it could kind of maybe mess up the investigation a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, quite possible. In July of 1975, Willard Warren Jr. was convicted of first-degree murder in the death of Leo Jack Clark. He was given a life sentence, and in North Carolina, death sentences are automatically appealed. And it was on the appeal in 1976 that the death sentence was commuted to life in prison. Willard died March of 2019 while he was in custody with the North Carolina Department of Corrections. So he did spend life in prison. His brother Harold never went to trial on his alleged participation in the murder as far as I can find through my research. These men sound like menaces to society. Yeah, definitely. I, that quite possibly wasn't the first time they'd you know, done that type of violence to someone. Well, it sounds like if you're given the chance, they likely would have killed again. I mean, they were already plotting who the next victim would be. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, they made us easy money, you know, found an easy victim, you know, someone who they totally overpower. So, yeah, I think that definitely, definitely saved someone else's life. So what do you guys think? Enough evidence to convict Warren? Oh, uh, well, I, yeah, I mean, I think so, especially with the um, testimony of the other gentleman that was there. What do you think, Megan? I definitely think so. And I think that they should never have gotten out of prison. They were definitely psychopaths who murders someone, especially that brutally, and then just goes and parties. Like there's something, there's, I'm sorry, there's something wrong with you. There's something very wrong with you. And for $18? We're all adults here. I mean, that just seems like such a low amount of money that you're willing to beat this man to death, stab him. I mean, murder him, and you're you're only going to take away eighteen bucks. What yeah. You, so you got nine bucks between the two of you. Yeah, they could have just. You're talking about two able-bodied men. They could have went and busted their ass for a couple of days working and had eighteen bucks, but you know, between them or that week. So I mean, that just adds to the senselessness when it's for just no re. I mean, no murders okay, but just these senseless murders over nothing essentially are the ones that really blow my mind. I was just thinking about the mugging itself and it's like to go to that extreme to take out this elderly man. But then I kind of started thinking about, I mean, the Warrens were known in this area. Yeah. I think they might be known to this day. They were known for being you know, drinkers and kind of hanging out in these frog level bars. And so people who were in that area knew them, knew of them. I mean, I guess it would have been easier for Clark to identify the people who'd attacked him. Well, yeah. I mean, obvious, it's obvious uh, the murder 
murdering him was the only way in their minds to keep him quiet. But it's just an ill-conceived plan in the first place. I mean, really, it is. In one of the case files, Warren had said that, I guess in the beginning, they were just planning to beat the old man. And that the only reason that he decided that they had to kill him was because the guy was kind of bucking up. Oh, wow. So I guess they thought like, oh, he's old, we'll attack him. Yeah. We'll get his money. But I guess when the elderly man started fighting them back, that's when he decided he had to take him out. Oh, my God. I, I mean, that, that two by four and all that really explains uh, the kind of damage they did to that man. Right. I mean, those were some serious injuries. And I don't know. I mean, the fact that they already seem to have another victim in mind just shows me, I mean, we could have had some serial killers on our hands here who were preying on the most vulnerable population. Yeah, I think elderly it's, man. I mean, to I me, that's just, possible. that's like cowardly scumbag shit to like it's the lowest. prey on an elderly person that yeah. you know you can easily overpower. It's the lowest of the low. Take advantage of that man. Yeah. Well, that has been the murder of Leo Jack Clark. And Megan, you have got a local case for us, and I'm so interested in hearing what you found out. I'm so excited to share it with you guys. I A lot of the information that I'm going to share with you, I took directly from the court documents. That um, fr- Some of them from the original court documents, and then a lot of them from his p- appeal, the appeal that comes along. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, but I, it's a lot, and I'm really excited to like share it with you guys and to get your theories on it, because... I feel a certain type of way about the way this ends up. (laughs) Okay. I can't wait to hear it. All right. So I guess we can get started with it if you want. Let's Um, do it. All right. So I, the area is Jackson County again, like we were talking about, but the person I want to talk about is June Love Barker. And she was a teacher here at Civil Webster High, Civil Webster High School, but it's not that anymore. It's called Smoky Mountain. Uh, it it kind of uh, like a bunch of different schools came together and made one high school. So it's no longer that. But she was a teacher there. She was in her first full year and she was dating this other teacher who was a science teacher and his name was James Everett Barnwell. But we'll just call them James and June because I'm not about to say their full names every time. Um, so he was in his second year teaching and he was also a football coach and they had met in 1971 and they. I couldn't find exactly how long they dated for, but from what I gathered, it was kind of a whirlwind romance. Like they started dating and then kind of fell like smitten with each other and then decided they're going to get married because this is in the seventies and they're in their early twenties. So it's coming freshly off of like the summer of love kind of thing. So that's kind of what I pictured when I was reading about this. If that well, makes they're both sense. teachers, so they have that common interest. And if they're teaching at the same school, they're seeing each other every day. And I think a lot of times when you maybe don't have, um, you have like a limited proximity to multiple partners, it's kind of easy to get that like crush on a colleague or maybe start dating a colleague because you see this person so often. Exactly. Because like you're in a small town in the 70s, you're not going to have like Tinder or OkCupid to meet people from other areas. Like you got a a very shallow pool of people you can have to choose from. And I, and I think that's kind of the case here, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that, and that's why people married their cousins back in the day, not even being funny because they, li- <laughs> you know, no, they lived in a holler, you know, miles and miles away from anywhere else. And that was the only person they saw. So you was lucky if it's your third cousin. Oh my god! It, it's an unfortunate reality. You're not. It's it's the truth. It happened um, everywhere. 
it, it did. It really did. And it, people that say that it just happened in the South are obviously stupid. And like, go do some research, what whatever area the you're from. Families. Yeah, it happened in Europe. It was yeah. happening in European villages and kingdoms. It's been happening there, for the same reason. The very reason was it proximity. Kaiser Willem that took Germany into World War One. I, I believe he had a lot of lines of incest in his family, and he had a lot of physical disabilities and such from that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's like a royal thing. Like, you want to keep your bloodline pure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, so they're dating, and they decide rather quickly that they want to get married, but they can't do it until they get paid. Not and that, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that show a couple times, but I, I, can't, I can't force myself to watch TLC. I'm not even going to lie to you guys. It makes me want to vomit a little bit. Yeah, it's pretty rough. <laughs> they're gonna get married but they gotta wait till payday they got they have to wait till they get paid so on the evening of september the 13th they decide that they're gonna meet at the high school because they are some gym equipment there that she's gonna repair with her class because she's a home economics teacher and he's gonna go there with her because he's the football coach so he knows where the equipment is and they're gonna meet up and they're gonna see what is gonna be repaired and so she leaves her house about 8 p.m. She lives with her mom and dad at this point. She's just dresses casually. She leaves to go meet him. She's gone for roughly two hours, and then her parents get a phone call from James. He, and it's around 10 p.m. by now, and he's like, hey, I, I haven't seen June. Have you seen her? And they're like, um, excuse me? <laughs> what do you mean, have, have, we, have we seen her? She's with you. And they start to freak out because – she, I don't, from what I gathered, she's not that type of a girl. She just graduated from WCU. She was really close with her family. She seemed like she was really interested in teaching and she just seemed very wholesome from what I was reading because she went to church and it just seemed like she was so sweet. So it was just way out of character for her to disappear. People not know where she is, what she's doing. Definitely. So they start to freak out a little bit. He, after this phone call, within like 30 minutes, him and his dad show up at her parents' house. And he gets there, and he, what I found was weird is that he's adamant. He's like, are you sure that she didn't go to a church meeting? Like, she, she probably went to a church meeting. We need to go check at the church. Her family, they, they said, they, they told him she was not going to church. She was not dressed to go to church. She was coming to meet you. You are losing it. <laughs> You're absolutely crazy. But he insists that he has to go check at the Tuckaseegee Baptist Church which is just probably three miles, three to five miles from where her parents live, not very far up the road. So he takes his dad. They leave because he's going to go check for her. He's gone probably, I would say around an hour. He's gone from their house. And then they come back and he's like, oh my God, I found her car. It was on the side of the road and it's locked. So automatically her parents are like, this is weird. What the fuck's happening? Like, and why are you the one that found her vehicle? And why are you so insistent that she went to the church? Yeah, really. Exactly. So we know that she's coming to meet you, but you are adamant she went there. This is not, this doesn't sound right. So he explains to them that the reason he found her car is because he went to the church. But while he's at the church looking for her, he gets thirsty. So he tells his dad, let's drive up the road to this spring where I can get a drink of water. Now, it, in the area that we're talking about, it's going towards Lake Glenville. I don't know if any, either one of you have been there often or if you know the area I'm talking about. Yeah, very familiar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really curvy mountain road. It's very isolated. Not a lot of residents. 
and a lot of them are seasonal residents at best like they come up in the summertime yeah I'm sure at this time that area would have been I mean it's incredibly rural now I think but I'm sure at that time it had to be super rural there's probably even more farmland yeah Yeah. oh my god there was an earthquake in Silva are you okay Megan (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I love my dog. Stop. Thank, stop. Thank God she's safe. That's okay. Our listeners love dogs. I'm so sorry, guys. And it's, okay. and it's such a cute puppy. You'll have to send us a picture so we can post the puppy with the episode. That's the people's. That's the people's puppy. The dashund. <laughs> okay. Oh. Sorry. Um. So anyway, they uh, they're looking for her car. They find it after he. I. Okay, I'm getting myself tongue-tied because I'm so confused about this. Why are you insistent to go look for her, and then you just get randomly thirsty in the middle of searching for your girlfriend? So you're scared to death for her, but wait, I have to get some water. Take me to the spring. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. So they go up the road, he says, to go to the spring, and lo and behold, there's her car sitting on the side of the road. And this is very strange. She wouldn't be the type that just leaves her car there. It's locked. They don't know where the keys are. That's even more strange. If she locked the car, obviously that means she's planning on coming back for it, in my mind. Yeah, to this day, the people who stumble upon a scene or call 911 or find these key pieces of evidence, like a car, the person's car, the last place they've been, they're they're looked at in a suspicious nature to this day for a reason. Exactly. So... At this point, they're freaked out. They le- they let the authorities know, and him and his father stay with her parents all the way through the night until f- until 5:30 on September the 14th. And at this, and there's accounts saying that during the time that he's there, he's freaking out. He's incoherent at some points. He has to take several aspirin, and he vomits at least one time while he's there. Oh my God. So, <clears throat> Yeah, so he's all to pieces. And then he keeps saying he wonders what a brown Chevelle was doing at the high school at the same time that he had been there. He just keeps randomly dropping hints that he sees this car and he wants to know what it had been doing there. All while he's at her parents' house. If Again, I put myself in the position of if I'm somebody worried about my significant other and the way he's acting, the things he's saying, is nothing how I would be acting. I would be like, we have to find her, like, Let's get out there. Let's go look for her. Not, oh, we have to find what that car was was doing there. It just didn't make sense to me. No, no. He's trying to create a narrative or dropping all these little Easter eggs for the family to, you know, grasp on. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's total BS. Serious manipulation. Yeah, it's just diverting all kind of any any speculation that he could be involved away from himself as far as I was concerned. Um, anyway. So 7.50 a.m., September the 14th, officers in the area find an envelope that has red stains on it on a trail near where a spring was located, close to where her vehicle was parked. And later they find out that uh, that this envelope has blood on it, and it unfortunately is her blood. Inside of the envelope is a letter addressed to James, and it's from a woman that he met while he was at a science conference in Boston, and they had probably corresponded like five or six times during the course of the summer because they met in July and they were there for five weeks and from what I could gather he also corresponded with a couple of other people that he met at this institute during the summer camp but I don't think that he had actually talked to someone as often he as he had this lady that was in this letter and I think 
that when June found it, because she, it, it came, it came out later that June had saw the letter, and I think that there was something in this letter that was probably maybe risque. <laughs> oh, okay. the best thing I could put with it, maybe. Yeah, so, that makes sense. Yeah, that would make sense, or that there was just some sort of declaration of some kind of love a bombshell or emotion, or, or oh. hey, nice fuck we had when we were in Boston or whatever, right? Yeah. Something that I don't think he probably was comfortable with sharing. So they find this letter and he's, he screams at the sheriff, where did you find that? That's mine. And he has to explain, of course, what it was. And he tells the story that she comes into his office on the morning of the 13th and finds him reading the letter. And he's like, okay, look, I want you to take this letter home with you and read it. And we'll talk about it tonight when I see you. And I guess it was kind of him saying like, okay, I admit that she had it, but we were going to talk about it. And I don't think that was the case at all. <laughs> if that, if I don't know, what do you guys think? Do you think that he would have? That was how it would have gone down. I, I personally don't think so. I no, think that he had I, it on him and dropped it. No, I think most people, when you're caught, <laughs> um, your natural reaction isn't to be really calm and collected and okay, we're gonna talk this out. Most people are gonna be one pissed off that perhaps you stumbled upon something that was private information. And then yep. two, you're caught. Yeah. And I feel like most people, when you're caught, instead of just accepting responsibility, you kind of try to like deflect or like, how dare you? It's your fault. Yeah. I, I think, I don't think he intended for the letter to be mixed in all these other, you know, clues and details he's miraculously observing. Plus, while I have a hard time missing. imagining that June, who has fallen in love with this man, and they're even talking about getting married as quick as payday is gonna just be like okay I'll take it home and finish it and sure we'll catch up later I mean she's got to be furious right I mean that's just a natural reaction to yep. betrayal is to be very upset yep I, I would think so and the, the interesting thing about this case is I actually I don't have firsthand experience obviously because I wasn't born in 1971 but her sister was my civics teacher oh in high school so she she actually was able to recant some of this tale to us when we had her in class. And from what from what her sister said, she was a spunky lady. She was really sweet, but she wasn't gonna like, take crap off of people from what from what she said. Okay, well that makes even more sense. Yeah, she's not going to be a little diminutive, you know, meek, you know, being told what to do. She's going to want answers. Yeah, and she's God fearing as well. So I I don't I think she grew up in a in a home that you were faithful to who your partner was. And I, I just don't think it sat well with her. So they find this letter later on, on the 14th near where her car was found. They, they find red substances on the ground and a, a trail leads across the ground about 13 feet. And then it drops down an embankment and at the, the bottom of the embankment, they unfortunately do find her body. And so oh this God. happens on the 13th and by the 14th midday, they've already found her body. Uh, so wasn't very well hidden. If you ask me, um, after that, uh, it, on sep September the 22nd, SBI agent comes into town and he starts doing a little bit more digging and he asks James to examine his car. And, um, as he inspects it further, he finds blood. And I think what they did was took, they took test samples. And then on the 27th, the sheriff gets a signed confession from James saying that he he had murdered her. Oh, my God. Well, damn. 
so so it was like he went from trying to find her to I killed her within less than tw- two weeks later. Well, yeah, I mean he, it, it kind of, I don't think he was getting any traction with the, you know his the story he's trying to lay out and all this the way you know he's trying to push redirect maybe suspicion and I, I and maybe maybe one saving grace he started regretting what he had done to a degree. I feel like maybe that was the case. He would just felt like it was, it was the right thing to do. So in his confession, he says on the night of the 13th, they meet up at the school together and then they decide that they are going to go for a drive. And she lives going towards Cullowee, which is past the school. So he decided that he would drive in front of her and she would drive behind him and she would just park her car close to home. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. She didn't have to come all the way back into town to retrieve her vehicle late at night. Because uh, this this is the 70s, but it's also already past 10 o'clock at night, and she wants to be safe, is, is what I was thinking. Oh, yeah. Well, and she's out in yeah. the middle of nowhere as well, so, you know, it's probably... It's not like she could have a cell phone to call somebody and get help if she got lost or something, you right. know? This is a really rural area. Well, it's uh, that area is still r- rural to this day. I mean, you got some, you know, vacation homes and some locals as you head up 107, I believe it is. But it, it's a, a steep mountain road, lots of switchbacks, and it just goes straight up the mountain to and on to an area called uh, Highlands, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and pastures, exactly. and so so even to this day, these these it's not a densely populated area. So and I, even today, with you know street lights and whatever, it's still not a oh, it's not well lit. lit road. So no, driving mm-hmm. that road in the evening, and especially past ten when it's dark, I mean, it it could be dangerous. Yeah, and I think we take for granted nowadays a lot of the cars were harder to drive back then. You know, a lot didn't have power steering. You know, this. You know, there's no anti-lock, all that, blah blah blah, all the buttons and all the things we take for granted nowadays. So yeah, it could be really tricky. Exactly, um, but he says they they decide to go on this drive. She parks her car off the side of the road close to something called the Thorpe Powerhouse, which, if you're familiar with that area, it. From the outside, it looks kind of like a giant abandoned castle. Yeah. Because it's brick and it has all these columns and it's kind of very Frankenstein-y when you drive by it. It's pretty cool. It gives me like old church feel with like the big windows and everything. Like a cathedral kind of feel? Yeah, almost like the cathedral or something. It makes me want to have a seance there, but I'm too chicken. Oh my God, let's go do it. We could do it. (laughs) We can do an on location episode of Really Curious. No, yes. Oh my God. But her body was, this happened to her so close to there. So I'd be terrified. I would be so terrified. 
Uh, anyway so close to this powerhouse they find her car and then not far up from that that's where her body was located so she leaves her car there she locks it she gets in with him and they start to joke around about how bad he is at distance because at this point when she pulled over it was far past where it was convenient for her to get back home they had just gone really far out there for her and she was laughing with him he was really bad at judging how to get there oh so he's kind of maybe drawing her out there yeah, this, this location is really far out there. I, there's no houses around there. There's really bad, I mean, now there's really bad cell phone re- reception, but it's also, like you said, very poorly lit. It's it's really remote, in my in my opinion. And I, I just got really bad vibes when I heard where it was at immediately. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they go there. They start joking around about this, and then somehow the conversation turns to hunting season because it's right around the corner. And they're in a joking mood, he says. So he tells her, I bet you that I could, by just listening to it and hearing you throw the can, I could shoot a a can in the air at night without looking. And she's like, you're full of shit. No, you can't. Obviously, no one can do that. Well, he says, yes, I can. So they pull over to the side of the road and he gets out, goes to his trunk and gets out a shotgun, a double barreled shotgun and brings it back to the driver's side. And apparently from the court documents, she's standing like in the driver's side. So if you open up the door and you're like standing between the car and the the door there, it's like a little triangle. She's standing right there in that area. From his accounts, he says that he opened up the gun, put two bullets in and turned around to tell her to throw a can in the air. But he never got that out that the gun goes off and he shoots her. And when the coroner found her body and examined it, she had been shot directly under the armpit and it went through her rib cage, uh, through her lungs, through her heart and stopped in her other lung. And she'd only been shot the one time. Yeah, that seems like a, I don't know, I guess you could have his, her side presented to him maybe, but that seems like a strange angle for what he's saying happened. To me, when I was thinking about it, I was I tried to imagine how she'd have to be positioned. So would she be looking at him? Would she be looking away from him? So I was thinking she might've been propped up on the door, maybe looking away from him thinking like, you know, he's full of shit. He's never going to be able to do this. And yeah. maybe that's how it went in on that side. I'm I'm not really sure. Though. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And also if she's positioned like that and she's trying to throw like Maybe a she's digging for air. a can. Yeah. You know? I mean, she yeah. Would, I, mean it, I guess the angle is not so suspicious to me, but just the fact that it's such a, almost like calculated kill shot yeah Yeah, i mean for it to be an accident it's really well placed accident because that location is just like well that's where you hit all of the big vital organs that's where you hit i guess i'm no uh hunter but i think that's where you might aim to hit big game right behind their front leg and you know like she said get the heart lungs you know something so yeah it's definitely uh she was not going to survive that shot at that no there's no way absolutely not so he says once that goes off he doesn't see her she doesn't say anything she just falls onto him he said the next thing he knew they're both on the ground slightly over the embankment and he's freaking out so he just pushes her off of him and he he at this point has basically dissociated like he's just like i have to get out of there he grabs the gun throws it back in the trunk and heads back towards town the first place that he finds light is in the at the car wash in silva so some of our your listeners will understand that like this car wash in particular is old it's self-service it's 
not in the best of areas in Silva, but it's the only place that has a lot of light because Walmart wasn't there at this time. Like nothing on that stretch of road was really out there for him to see. So his car. Seen a car wash that's by like Harold's IGA. Oh, I think it's one that's way before that. Or is it the one that's like closer to Walmart? The one closer to Walmart. Gotcha. Okay. So So people who are listening that don't know that area are going to be like, what the hell? Why do they keep talking about Walmart? But again, Silva's such a small town that Walmart's like the hub. (laughs) So yeah, there's like one big street that just goes all the way through town and all of these stores are just on either side. So it's, it's the only marker. This area. So yeah, yeah coming back from that way would be the first place he found is and that's lit up. Quite a distance. That's I mean, a I'm, long I'm way. I'm thinking of the car wash where you're you're talking about, and the place where she would have been killed. I mean, gosh, that's what like eight nine miles or more. Oh, it's probably from what I saw in the court documents, like thirteen miles away. Okay, so I mean that has to yeah, that's a good distance. Thirteen curvy miles. He's basically all the way back to town from this remote area where he got her, you know, drove her out to. So he's basically all the way back to town. Yes. Oh, yeah. He's already past Civil Webster High School, and he's going to this car wash, and he sees that there's blood on his car. So he, of course, washes it off and then goes home. At that point, he makes the phone call to her parents, like, have you seen June? And then all of the previous story that I told you happens up until they find her body. Now, he, he he signs this confession, he's arrested, and he goes to trial in February of 1973. This is where I start to get a little bit upset when I was reading the case, because when they went to trial, they said that he could be tried for voluntary manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, or second degree murder, because they couldn't, they didn't have enough evidence to prove first degree. Well, and I was so yeah. mad. Yeah, I know. I mean, it seems premeditated. Well, it, me too. That's what I thought. I mean, there. my opinion is this is premeditated. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it seems like, you know, maybe there's, you know, obviously there's a lot less forensic science and, and things back then and techniques they can use. So really all they got is what they think from the evidence and the autopsy. And, and there's not really a scene. Well, I mean, there is one out there, but where she was left at. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's so tricky even nowadays i get so pissed off when i think someone is so brutal or cold and all and this uh if his first thought was oh my god what have i done do you drive the you know straight basically straight to the car wash and wash your car off and go home yeah that's the exact thing i was thinking you might find the nearest house or you know something like that which he passed some houses by the time he got to the car wash okay Yeah, it gets worse. So while they're at trial, it comes out that during the time that she, okay, so they do find her body on the 14th, but then you have from the 14th till the 22nd when the SBI agent comes in town and starts really putting the pressure on him, nothing's really happened. And then again, you have a gap between the 22nd and the 27th where nothing else still has happened. So the first part of the investigation took nine days for him to even admit that maybe he had something to do with it. And then he, it took him between the 22nd and the 27th to even say that he had done this. During that time, he went to several football practices. He went to a football game and watched a competitor school play football. And he went to the lake to try to look for her body with his lawyer friend because he said that his lawyer friend could, had trained eyes to w- look for where her dead body would be. 
He did all these really shitty things. That's a hell of a lawyer. Wow. Wow. He has like a cadaver lawyer. I had no idea that like cadaver searching was instrumental in law school. I'm going to have to talk to my lawyer friends about that. It's in the eyes, man. It's in my eyes. So he did all these things. And what what the prosecutor tried to get across to the jury was that during all this time, he could have said what happened. If it was a true accident, uh, I mean, first of all, he pushes, he says he didn't push her, but he rolls her down a 44 foot embankment. If you accidentally shot her, wouldn't you just put her in the car and go directly to the emergency room? Exactly. Like, oh my God, we just had a terrible accident. Please help her. Yeah. And even if you do panic, I can't say what I would do in that situation because I've never been in it. But even if you do, because like when you were saying he disassociated, and kind of was thinking just one thought, let me get out of here. That can happen in the brain. Your brain can react like that to a significant trauma. But after all, and then after, even if it's been a day or two, you should calm down, think about what happened and be like, I've got to do the right thing. But this guy went weeks. He did all kind of went to game, you know, football games. He wasn't laid up in the house, you know, cathartic. And June was or, a woman I'm sorry, catatonic. He- allegedly you know had feelings for he was talking about marrying this woman so if you love someone how can you do all these things and take all these steps and just it doesn't weigh on your conscience yep that you're still out living it up and putting on this normal face that's exactly what i said and i said he's like really devastated about what's happened and this is a person that you loved and wanted to be with possibly even if you can't bring yourself to turn yourself in you shouldn't be out having you know yucking it up and catching all the local social events and it just seems to me that i mean can we believe his confession he's a known liar he's lied about everything up until this point and and he's tried to create this narrative and then now this is the story he's telling so i mean it's like is it even believable yeah exactly so all of this happens he says all these things um the the jury they come back and they convicted him of second degree murder and I looked it up because I wasn't I, I'm not really familiar with how first degree and second degree works. What I found was that first degree they have to prove without a shadow of a doubt that it was premeditated. And yeah. from what I found, premeditation can happen within like seconds of a murder. Yes. So like it can go a, a bunch of ways, but that second degree is either involuntarily voluntarily recklessly killing someone in the spur of the moment and that's what he got convicted of okay yeah and i think i kind of agree with their evidence they didn't have a lot of it they really just had his confession and him saying what happened so i mean it would be it seems like it would be tough to get like if i if i'm fighting heather which she would beat me up and i leave the room and, and come back and get a gun or go leave the room, go get a gun, come back into the room and, you know, confront her again and then shoot her saying, you know, self-defense. I was worried about my... Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. My safety. That's not going to fly. If you have time to go 
you know, leave a room and come back to it, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think, but if I think if first degree murder had been on the table, the jury may have went for it. Uh, you just never know. I, I think that they probably felt like it was just safer to go with second degree because they knew that he would definitely get convicted of that. They could oh, at least yeah. without a doubt prove that. That makes so sense. I think that's what they went with. Uh, unfortunately, I, I think that he got entangled, entangled the whole Jada Pinkett Smith. I don't know if you guys follow that, but her entanglement. But oh, yeah. I think, yeah, I think he had an <laughs> entanglement with maybe this Maureen lady. He met June. Things kind of progressed faster than he might have expected. He's a young man. He's 24. Maybe he jumped into something too soon that he wasn't ready for decided he needed to take care of the problem because he's living in a small town. His reputation would be ruined. You know, she seemed like a really good person. Maybe he just got in over his head and made a really rash decision in the heat of the moment and murdered her. I really think that might be the case, but of course I wasn't there. I don't know for sure, but that was, that's my theory. Well, I think that's a pretty solid theory. You definitely know the story better with, than we do by, with all your research, but yeah, I think that's a solid theory. What do you think, Heather? Yeah, I think so. I mean, what I'm, I guess, leaning towards. I don't see any other motivation. She found out she was upset. They possibly go on this drive. Maybe they exchange some heated words. She's, you know, she's probably given him down the road about what he's done. And then maybe they are kind of joking around a little bit about this. Oh, I can shoot this can. But there's still those feelings. And so, you know. It's possible. Maybe he just decides that, you know, I'm just going to, this is too much to have to deal with. I'm just going to take her out. Yeah. He, there might not even been some intent to shoot a can and all that. That right. could just be I mean, total. That could just be he could have just pulled over, ordered her out of the vehicle, unloaded on her as soon as she, you know, stood up out of the car. Yeah. So, I mean, she'd be in that same position that, you know, where she took the gunshot. So, Who's to know? But or I, perhaps they were kind of standing there in a heated argument. She's kind of leaning on the door, giving him down the road, and, you know, he decides to just shoot yeah. her. Yeah, I mean, who knows? But I think he definitely uh, caused her death. Yeah, I mean, her blood trail, it went 13 feet to an embankment, so he had to have drug her a distance. You, she doesn't just fall on you and you guys end up over the – embankment because he said that's just the next thing he knew they were over the embankment oh wow i didn't i didn't realize it was that far from the car i was kind of you know having been been from the mountains i could imagine some areas where you pull all over you know you're only a few feet from the edge anyway but yeah that 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 totally sounds like bs for your someone to fall against you and you stumble you know 10 plus feet so with the second degree charge what is his sentence uh, his sentence was four, no less than 14 years, but no more than 20 years. I couldn't find the exact number of years that he served or really what happened to him after this, just that he did go to prison. He did file for an appeal, but I don't think, I think he just served his term and got out. Um, I, I really didn't find a whole lot of what happened to him afterwards. And her family is still in this area. Her mother did pass in 2012 when she was 91. So she had a very long life and I just was really sad for her mom thinking she had to live all those years knowing all of this, all these terrible things that had happened to her daughter. It made me feel really sad. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you don't know much about what's happened beyond his prison years? 
I don't, I don't know really what has happened to him. He kind of just disappeared. I, I tried to locate where he would, would have gone or anything. And I just couldn't really find anything about him. Which... I know that at one point when, because you and I, we had discussed the story like last year and I was like, oh, that's an interesting case and kind of looked up some stuff about it. And he did end up marrying the woman from the school retreat in Boston. Really? Oh my gosh. You did find that? Yep. Oh my God. And he lives from what I gathered down like an Eastern part of the state. Well, I was going to say like somewhere in or around like kind of the triangle, the Eastern part of North Carolina. See you, you educated me on something of that case. I didn't know about that. That just drives the nail in the coffin for my theory. I really feel like that's exactly what happened. Yeah. That's what I think. I mean, and then I'm looking at it from this third party perspective of this other woman who is in Boston, meets him, they have the summer fling, they're still, you know, continuing this sort of pen pal relationship. He's accused and then found guilty of murdering this woman he's supposed to be with. What is she thinking? Wow. Like, that... what is she thinking about being with this man? This situation was because of something she did. Not that she's playing a role in it, but she was involved. He kills this woman, and then you're going to turn around and marry him? Well, yeah, and she testified at his case, like his at his trial. Her and a bunch of other people testified that he was a great person and that they had only had like friendly correspondences with him. So in my eyes, fuck all of you. You all are liars. And that poor woman died totally unnecessarily. Just wow. Don't be with her. So she was like, a character witness at his trial. That's interesting. Yeah. And then went on to marry him, even though he was convicted of second degree murder of this this poor woman. So that could open up a whole nother can of worms as a thought. You know, who knows if she knew more about what was going to happen or not. You know, you just never know. Totally speculate, being speculative, but uh, who knows? That was such an interesting story, Megan. Oh, my God. I I knew a little bit about it and I looked up some things, but I didn't know all the details. Yeah, it was infamous here. Like when his trial came around, they actually had to go all the way to Cherokee County to get the jury because it was so talked about here in Jackson County. Like they couldn't stay un like unbiased. They had wow. to go out- outside of the county for Unless the some counties over, isn't and it? And what a scandal at the high school. Yeah, it's and it's honestly it's the first of many scandals. N- none of them have been that bad, but there's been a lot of scandals out of that high school. Ooh, scandalous. Well, scandalous. I just during that time, the, well, what would have been the Smoky Mountain High School? It was the, um, what, Civil Webster High School. I mean, they were known even throughout the state as being like this really small school, but having this spectacular football team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And their coach, Babe Howell, was like this. Yeah. He's like a local legend, was supposedly this amazing football coach that led Civil Webster to like many victories. He went on to coach, I guess, at Smoky Mountain High School. And he's actually mm-hmm. buried beneath the football field. Yeah. 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 Smoky Mountain High School. Is that true? Yes, he really is. Wow. That's what I've heard. So I was That's thinking cool. about that and I'm like, so I wonder if this fellow was like an assistant or worked with Babe Howell or if that was like before or after. I mean, he, he might have. Uh, apparently he was pretty good at, at his job. You know, like people in the school liked him. He seemed pretty, like a pretty good guy. And what's really strange, my uncle, who him and his twin brother went to Silver Webster at this time, they actually had her, they had 
had her and him as teachers before. Wow. And from, from his mouth, he told me himself that him and his brothers and all their friends talked about it after they found out what he had done. He continued to come to school afterwards as well. So if they had found out that he had done that, they said he would not have been alive. Wow. All of them wow. hated him. Yeah. yeah, I bet. So I'd say the whole town had a, a feeling, you know, against that. I mean, a poor young lady killed, good, good senselessly girl. killed. I mean, that's just the type of things. And like in Heather's story, when you attack elderly, the young, or, you know, back then more more so women, you know, they're viewed as... Well, just people who are vulnerable. Vulnerable she's people. she's emotionally yeah. vulnerable. She's in love with them. I know. What a piece exactly. of... Exactly. Yeah. And her family was, was from the area, so her family was known. They, uh, it was just, it was really sad. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. So I'm fuck that guy. Screw you. And I hope that you're not happily married. To convict him. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, I, you know, I, I would like it to have been longer, but it's like, I, I mean, I guess for the sake of her family, at least perhaps they got some closure, some justice in that he did serve time. Well, he spent his young years. He gave his young years up and, and she got, of course, didn't have any, even another day alive. But, and all we can really hope for out of something like this is that I think is he's truly, maybe it was really an accident. Maybe he's truly remorseful and maybe he lives with it every day. Or you maybe know? he's a shit hog. Or maybe he's a shit hog. That's like the mama of the shit birds. Did you know that? A shit hog is the shit bird mama. Did she say shit hog <laughs> okay. or shit hawk? <laughs> like caw caw oh, oh yeah, yeah okay. that's the that's the big ones they get big out there towards silver oh the, the hawk yeah, yeah. Totally. well so this has been fun this has been yeah. fun and um i know you got one more listener here yeah dreadfully curious i will be checking that out megan where's your podcast available for download um you can download it on buzzsprout but for convenience sake right now it is also available on spotify down the road, it'll be on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. I just, I want to get my shit together before I branch out further. No, you're doing fine. That's doing fine. And Spotify's a good one. It is. And yeah. I wanted to go ahead and, and do a little business, if that's okay, Megan. We have a couple of new patrons. Lauren, Ivy, and Claire have signed up this month. Oh, my God. Claire's like a megasaur. Thanks patron. for supporting the podcast. We also hosted our first ever like Patreon exclusive Discord chat this week. Oh my God. That was so much fun. We had so much fun. It was like hanging out with friends. Yeah, I was just like, how long is this supposed to last? I, it was like an hour and a half going on two hours in. And, and then, you know, a duty did call for people, kids and dinner and such. But it was just a blast. Yeah, it was really fun. We talked true crime, TV. We were just goofing off. Like, it was a really good time. So if you sign up on Patreon.com to support Mountain Murders, you're going to get access for that Discord chat. And we also toyed around a little bit with our levels of support. And we offered a brand new level, our highest level. So we have some really nice benefits that go along with that, including some merch. Yeah. If you so check it out. Join our $1,000 level. I'll beat somebody up for you. Oh, God. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. I'm for muscle for hire. We also have a virtual live show, our very first virtual live show coming up Sunday, July 26 at 7 p.m. You can buy tickets online. We have links on Instagram and Facebook where you can purchase a ticket, but it's only $6. Oh, that we just want to reconnect with listeners and fans and just other people so we know you're alive out there. We need some socialization, and we had a couple of live, sco live shows that out scheduled for 2020. And, you know, we can't 
gathered together right now. So this is a good way for us to just kind of get together and see some faces and get feedback. And we miss an audience. Yeah, we won't talk to other adults. We won't talk to adults. Megan, can folks find you on social media? Yes, I have an Instagram, Deadly Curious Podcast um, for Instagram, and then Dreadfully Curious Podcast on Facebook as well. And uh, also, if anybody wanted to read about this case, it's online. Like, you can go and read the court documents. I left out a couple of details just because it wasn't relevant, but you can find all the other info on there. And the victim's name was June Love Barker. June Love Barker, and her murderer was James Everett Barnwell. 1973. 1971. Okay, 71. And so our story was 75. I mean, the 70s were really deadly decade. What's up with that? Yeah, watch out. Back here in the 70s, I'm going to get a time machine, and I'm going to go back here and stop all that shit. I think it was just really murders of convenience, just because there's people didn't have a lot of communication, and it was like people were not afraid to go out and travel about and not lock their doors and do whatever i think it was easy access that's true yeah definitely all right well this has been a blast thank you guys so much for having me thank you you come back now thanks for joining and folks check out megan's podcast dreadfully curious it is available she said buzzsprout.com and also on spotify yeah okay until next time guys thanks so much for tuning in